listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hi, Stacey. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Jane. So, This is a great day for me when I can have a listener on the podcast. So I'm very excited to have you on the show. How long have you been listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast? I guess it's been four years. Have you been listening from the very start or or near the start when it was just me in a closet with my iPhone? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And you've stuck it out all of these years. Thank you very, very much. And I know that you have some friends who also listen to the podcast. So we want to give them a bit of a shout out today before we get started. So yeah, Stacey, why don't you say hi to them? Hello, CG. Hello, Heather. Yeah. So CG and Heather are two of the, is it four? There's four women. Yeah, we were a group of four that often got together at Starbucks in Utsunomiya um, at least three years ago, about three years ago. Yeah, yeah, I miss them. And you all lived in Tochigi Prefecture or near there. And yeah, I think uh, Heather has been on the podcast as well. And I know CG as well. And I've been asking her to come on the show too, but it hasn't worked out yet. So one day we'll get her on the show. So yeah, it's really lovely to meet you finally, Stacey, after all these years we've been sort of chatting and mailing each other, but never got a chance to talk. But here we are today. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got here? Okay, I am Canadian. I am in Mie Prefecture now, but for most of my time in Japan, I was living in Utsunomiya, Tochigi Prefecture. Uh, I came here in 2003, January through Eon. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a great company. It's really um, looked after me over the years. So I came in 2003 and I stayed. (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're still here. Um, Yeah. So Mie is where for those of us who are geographically challenged in Japan? It is so central. Uh, We are about a 40 minute train ride from Nagoya. And actually, Osaka and Kyoto are not that far away. I rode my bicycle to my husband's home I like his childhood home where his mom lives. And it's between Osaka and Kyoto on the border. And that's about 100 kilometers. Oh, wow. You rode a bike there from where you live in Mie to the border between Kyoto and Osaka, 100 kilometers. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it took me all day. It just took you one day. (laughs) Daybreak to sunset. Yes. Oh, my God. That's a long ride. 
Awesome. It is. I was inspired by a guy who I met at the International Center. He was working here, a Hawaiian guy. And he said he wrote his mama Chari to Kyoto. And I was just like, oh, wow. If you did that, I can do it. <laughs> were you also writing a mama Chari or were you on a... I have a basket on my bicycle. I'm not a person with toe clips and curly handlebars. I have a basket, but it's not a mama Chari. It has gears. Okay. I mean, more than three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Mamachari is the sort of ubiquitous bicycle that you will see around in Japan that is kind of an upright bike. Like when you're sitting on it, you're looking, you're sitting quite upright, aren't you, as opposed to hunched over. And it has a basket on the front and usually something on the back. So you can put a box on the back. Or if you live in Tokyo, you've got a child on the front and a child on the back and you take them to <laughs> kindergarten that way. Um, and that's, it's, I that's guess. why it's called Mama. Mama's chariot. Cherry, Cherry's chariot, maybe? I'm not sure. The Mama's chariot. I've had this discussion with someone before, but I can't remember what was the actual meaning in the end. But yeah, that's, that's sort of your starter bike in Japan, isn't it? Do you have one, Jane? I used to have one uh, when I first came here. That was mm -hmm. my mode of transportation when I was just fresh off the plane and I had no money and I was an English teacher. I used to ride my bike. It was only a, like a eight minute ride from my apartment to my school where I used to work. And so that was my mode of transport. And then I realized, wow, it's actually not very fun to ride your bike most of the year in Japan because it's either freezing cold or roasting hot or there's it's raining because it's a rainy season. So it was, yeah, it was pretty rough getting around on a bicycle here in Tohoku. But when you've got no money, you know, you just do it, right? So that's yes. what you do. So you cycled through the snow in those days. Well, we didn't have much snow here, luckily, but it would be, um, you know, headwind, freezing cold, horrific headwind, and, you know, trying to get to work or uh, trying to ride through a typhoon to get to work. And, you know, you're wearing a suit and trying to, to get to work and not look like a drowned rat to look professional you know, when you get to work, right? Yes. Oh, that's such a big issue. I've ripped up so many pairs of dress pants with the chain, yes. like getting oil, a little bit of oil, or just uh, it catches a little bit and you get this little rip. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But you jog. So how would you manage that if there's headwinds and freezing cold and all kinds of adverse weather? Yeah. Jogging, it's not so bad. You just get the right clothes on. And I think that's the way with anything, right? You just need the right equipment. So if you're going to ride your mama cherry to work or you're going to jog, you know, six o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter, you need to dress in a certain way. And then it's not so bad. So once you figured that out, you know, yeah. you'll be fine. Um, not much you can do about the heat, though, right? That's uh, the thing I, I can't. Oh, you hate riding bicycles. Well, actually, where I live is on a hill. And when I say hill, mm -hmm. I mean like a mountain. So oh. everywhere's down like a long way down. <laughs> so you don't really want to ride a bike around here where I live. So um, it's all cars. Yeah. And, or unless you want to ride the bus. If you were somewhere more flat, it would be nice. Yeah. Oh, I just fell in love with getting around by bike. Uh, Utsunomiya is basically flat. And where I am here is basically flat. And it's just the way to go. For like, all the conveniences are around my house, the post office, the shopping center, um, library, everything is just mm -hmm. as fast by bicycle as by car. And I'm actually moving my body, which is, you know, yeah, it's an extra bonus, isn't it? Yeah. I think 
<laughs> unfortunately. I spend about a lot of my time um, just sitting at a desk. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, right. It's my jogging. Your jogging is your jogging. And my little exercise daily is getting out exactly. on my bike. And I've just, ever since I moved to Mie, I've just been wanting to do longer and longer rides um, because it just beats sitting in the car. I can imagine. And you see so much more, right? When you're cycling past the fields or the whatever is. You must be able to really enjoy the countryside exactly. and things. And the great thing about Japan, there's always a convenience store every few kilometers, right? So whatever happens, you're going to be able to pick up an onigiri or or something, you know, um, use the bathroom, you know, a nice clean public toilet, et cetera. It's, it's not too bad in that respect either. Yeah, it was a bit scary with that. I mean, that was the big challenge going across the Suzuka Mountains to Osaka, Kyoto. It was scary because there weren't convenience stores. And I have this issue where my phone battery, uh, when I'm using Google Maps, my phone battery drains quickly. Sure. Yeah. So it's very exciting. I don't mm. take a big road. I like to take side roads because I don't like traffic. But I got onto this road where mm -hmm. there were a string of huge trucks with gravel in the back. And I was wondering, does this road, is it being constructed? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, does mm. this road go somewhere? Are they building a dam? Um, and what I landed up is that the road passed by a big, huge gravel works place. Oh, okay. And once I got past mm -hmm. that, I was, I had the road to myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. That could be a bit, a bit scary. Yeah. When you're riding along with all those trucks, that's for sure. So it sounds like you are very interested in living a life of being sort of environmentally conscious. How do you make that happen in Japan? It's challenging. It's challenging for me because I'm not fully literate in Japanese. So I like to know where my food comes from, but I don't mm -hmm. because I can't read all the labels. But I do my best with just being environmentally conscious in the way I manage the home. I have a child. So as he grows older every year, I'm always thinking about what does he need? What does he not need? I'm also completely about getting rid of clutter. Uh, right now, he, he's finished elementary school. So I have the beautiful Japanese mm. school bag, the leather one, randoseru. And it's under his bed right now. And I'm just trying to think about how I can pass it on right. to the next home. Have you thought about getting it remade into something like a wallet or bags they it, can make I think it's yeah. three wallets they can make out of one nandoseru. it's such a nice bag it would be such a shame it, I mean even though it's gone through his elementary school career it is not at all scratched up or um it would be just a shame to mm. you know I'm all about multi-night as well multi-night to to cut up such a nice bag and we don't really need wallets right now so mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I'm thinking I'm thinking about maybe um maybe I'll take it next time I go to Canada and maybe somebody will be absolutely delighted to have it yes I've heard that uh, Landosel are quite popular overseas because they're so sort of unusual and they're quite a fashion item in some places right so yeah maybe someone would love to have it as a 
daily bag to use on their commute or something or whatever. You never know. Well, I couldn't imagine an adult carrying it, but maybe a kid might use it, although they are a little bit heavy. Yeah, they can they? be quite heavy. Depends. Yeah. Compared to what did I, I, when I was a kid, I used like a duffel bag. Yeah, right. The very light sort of canvasy, not canvas. Yeah, a light bag, not anywhere near the, the weight of an average sandal set. I think sometimes my daughter, she's in the yeah. fifth grade, she's carrying like nearly 10 kilos of books and things and in, including her cell to school in the morning I'm like wow <laughs> so luckily she's you know nearly as tall as I am and she can kind of handle it but there must be kids who are tiny carrying the same and I always worry about them a little bit but that is yeah yeah that is- me too when um I 10 kilograms is a lot I I think I weigh I weighed my son's bag when he was in first grade and it was it was around five kilograms because he carries all, I mean, I'm sure your daughter too, carrying basically all the textbooks back and forth every day. Yeah, they've stopped that a little bit now. I think that's improved in the last couple of years. So that's good. But yeah, there's still a lot of stuff that goes back and forward every day um, in their bags. Thank God the textbooks are paperbacks and they've got, they're divided into Uwe and the the first term and the second term. Yes, that's right. Joe. Jo. Is it Joe? Yeah. Is it, is it, where is it Joe? Uh-huh. Joe. <laughs> Joe and Gare. <laughs> I always say Uenshta. My husband's like, no, it's Joe and Gare. Like, okay. <laughs> same, same. Joe is the first one? Yeah, I think so. But I always get confused. I'm like, is it the first one or is it the second one? But I think it's the first one. Someone will tell us. Yeah. I always know and then I forget and then I have to be told again because I can't keep it in my brain. But yeah, I thought um, my son had brought home his um, his gear or the, the the second part of the textbooks the other day. And so I thought, oh, he doesn't need these at school in his backpack every morning. So I took them out of his backpack and put them on the shelf. He went to school and had no school books. And he's like, mommy, where are all my school books? Oh. And I'm like, oh, those were the ones you're supposed to keep in your backpack, not the ones to put on the shelf for later. Poor kid had had no textbooks because his mummy got confused about which textbooks it should have been at school. Oh. That was just last week. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And what did you do with last year's textbooks? Um, they get recycled very quickly. Right, right. So you bundle them up. I actually went through his textbooks this year and was just looking at what he was learning, like the life skills. There is a picture of a really messy room, a kid's room, and there's a picture of a tidy room. And so they're actually learning how to organize and tidy their desk and oh. their room and fold their clothes, stuff I never learned in Canada. It's just, it's really interesting how different the education system is. Was that from the sixth grade, the sixth grade? Textbook? Yes. Okay. Well, yes. I'm hoping my daughter will get that information next year. I'm sure she'll put it. I together. don't really think it made a big difference yet. <laughs> I guess. Interesting. Yeah. The life skills go beyond just the cooking class or the sewing class or the, um, you know, there's sort of woodwork classes or things that they do at school as well as, yeah, how to fold your clothes. I remember my son going to kindergarten and coming home one day and madly folding all these clothes. I'm like, where did you learn to do that? And he said, oh, at kindergarten. I was like, oh, excellent. (laughs) Because like, if I tried to teach him, he's like, I'm not, I don't want to do that. That's boring. But he learned it at school and he came home and practiced and he's now he's quite a good laundry folder. Thank you. Japanese kindergarten. Mm. 
Oh, folding. Folding is very important to Japanese culture, isn't it? So um, I, I tend to like to hang everything because it's more efficient. I just hang it all out on the balcony to dry. And then I just, from the hanger, just hang it in the closet. Right. Yes. That is very efficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but folding is important to, to Japanese. Mm, yeah. I followed, yeah. you know, Mari Kondo, the magic of clean. So she says to fold all your socks and not to make them into bunnies. You know, not inside right. out. Yes, I can't not make them into bunnies, but yes, apparently it's not good for the socks, right? Apparently not. So, um, she uh, helped me with a little bit of more folding than I used to do. I did a lot of what she suggested because I like to reduce clutter. And the problem with her is she doesn't really tell you how to rehome things. She just, it's a bit irresponsible and like, okay, if you don't, if it doesn't spark joy, throw it out. So I can just imagine this huge dumpster and all this landfill. I think a lot of things could be reused that one home doesn't need, but another home could use. Mm. I'm always thinking about that with school term ending as I said, I was going through all of the stuff my son brought home. Boy, that was at least 10 kilograms on the last day, right? And yeah, all that, I yeah. was going through all the one-sided paper and I have it here by my desk now. I've got about a pile of 20 centimeters of paper that's all mm. one-sided. Yeah. It's going to take me forever to use it all up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of the backs of those pieces of paper. That they could have emailed us but anyway yes <laughs> good old japanese school and their obsession with printing everything out and sending it home i get twice so i've got two kids right so one for each right. kid i, get the I double. can't imagine mm. yes upstairs there's four girls uh from junior high school down to three years old uh, just mm -hmm. imagine all the all the things that the mother has to prepare for school and, and all the stuff that comes back at the end of term. So how did you end up deciding to come to Japan in the first place, Stacey? What brought you here? Ah, well, um, I, that's a really long story. <laughs> I didn't want to go to Japan particularly, but I went to Korea first and I worked there for a year and it was really exciting to live in a foreign country. I went back to Canada and I did a college program in publishing. And I was on the computer all day and I just felt like, is this for me? <laughs> I, mm. I, I like working with people. I, and I never thought I'd like to be a teacher because I'm quite shy. But actually, I enjoy it. And when I was in Vancouver studying publishing, I was tutoring on the side. And when I went to look for a job, I had some ideas of working in um, travel, like making travel brochures or editing English in Asian publications that had many typos in those days. And I was just thinking what to do. And there weren't that many jobs in publishing at the time. But when you opened the newspaper, there was lots of jobs mm -hmm. for people with a Bachelor of Arts degree 
to work in Asia. And I was looking at that and I was looking at, I think they're just a job with Eon um, popped up and I thought, well, why not? I'll just try and see if this works out. Maybe I can go to Japan. It's, you know, life is an adventure when you live abroad, learning stuff every day. So that was just, it was just mm -hmm. so easy that I just felt like I sailed through that, you know, job application process. Whereas when I was applying for work in publishing, applying to magazines and such, it just felt like it was hitting a brick wall. The closest I could get to a career there was if I was to do an internship for like six weeks. But uh, Vancouver is a very expensive city to live in. I don't have family there. And I just thought, gosh, you know, I could go back to Asia and, and have this, you know, this adventurous lifestyle, or I could go back to sitting at the desk in front of the computer all day, trying to be absolutely perfect with no typos, mm. and no mistakes and learning software, which actually feels a bit stressful for me. And I almost didn't think about it. It was just like it flowed. <laughs> and here I am. Here you are. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting that it was still working for Eon, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so interesting that it just seemed so easy to come to Japan, right? Yeah, yeah. That it just it, like the path kind of opened and then it was just a matter of walking along it. It wasn't a struggle or you didn't have to bash your way through any walls to get here. Uh, like potentially some people have had to do recently with borders closed and all of that. But yeah, just kind of this happened and here you are, <laughs> you find yourself in Japan, which is, it's not, it, I mean, it's not an easy country to get used to living in. It takes a lot of time and, and effort and all of that. But yeah, the process of coming here was super easy for you. It was. And I think that partly is because I had a year in Korea before okay, teaching yes. English. That would help. Yeah not your first rodeo at living overseas. And I looked into other countries as well. Like I, I wasn't particularly drawn to just Japan, but the exchange rate was good and still is. And yeah. <laughs> um, it's a yeah. safe country. A lot of my university uh, peers were going to Japan. Uh, I looked at Thailand mm -hmm. <laughs> and I looked at some place in South America. I don't even remember. So it's kind of like, oh, where, where can I go? I guess I was looking for opportunities. And then, yeah, just this opportunity came up and it worked out. Mm. And so what would you say, what are some of the things that make you want to stay in Japan? I don't know. I don't know if I want to stay in Japan, actually. Mm -hmm. Of course, the food is absolutely delicious. But as a housewife, um, my standards apparently are not quite up to par uh, according to my husband and son so uh, I do love Japanese food but I don't love cooking it mm. and I love the fact that we don't have to tip here in restaurants right and we can eat out often I love my work mm -hmm. I love mm -hmm. um, coaching people with English one-to-one -one, and I mostly do that online yeah with Eon so that I love and the reason I love it is because I'm not doing it eight hours a day. I'm doing it one or two hours a day. Mm -hmm. And for that, I feel privileged to do that work. I love it. Thank you, Jane, for reminding me of that work 
when I moved here. Yeah, that's a fun fact, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I moved here uh, across Japan and I was looking for new work because I had really nice work in back in Utsunomiya. And I was just looking, what can I do? What can I do? And I was applying to all kinds of um, local schools, but most schools will work in the evening for kids or for adults. And as a housewife making dinner and also working in the evening is just not going to work. And then I remember you saying, oh, I work at home on the internet. And yeah, I sent you an email. and said, what on earth do you do, Jane? Yeah. And you're like, I, I work for yeah. Elon. And I'm like, what? I did that before. I was an online teacher uh, for the year I was pregnant. Not quite year I was pregnant. I wasn't pregnant for a full year, but yeah, thank you. I love it. So that keeps me. Yeah, that's so great to hear that you're still working with them and that you really enjoy it. it that so many really lovely students come to you through that system that they have. That's really great. Yeah. I, yeah, I like it because the students I teach want to be there. Mm. And most of them, 95% of them, are really keen and interested in learning. So uh, it's just my pleasure. Yeah, that's a great thing about um, Aikaiwa and is that the students are really lovely. And that's what, something I really like as well. It's my, my daughter was saying, are you still an English teacher? I'm like, yes, when I want to, to people I want to teach. And that's because I really enjoy teaching the particular students. They're so, they're so lovely to spend time with and, and yeah, and help them with the English while we're doing it. Yeah, that's great. So when you were moving from Utsunomiya to Mie, I think you also started Shin, was it, is it Shindin Yoku? Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Shindin Yoku. Okay. Well, going back to the things I like about Japan, food, my work, and adventure. So part of that is outdoor adventure. I love um, nature. And Mm. I was a little bit wary about moving to Yokaichi City here. My husband's from Kyoto, and when we drive through this area, there are smokestacks and big industry along this the highway between like Tokyo and Kyoto uh, when you get mm, near Nagoya. Yeah. I, I guess yeah. your husband's from Kansai as well. You've taken that highway. It's quite shocking just how like fact the factories and the yeah just the industry that you can see from the highway yeah the area where there's nagashima spa line with the giant roller coaster mm-hmm. do you remember yeah. seeing that as you're yeah. driving through so i knew that yokaichi was more of that kind of scenery and although i was delighted that my husband would be closer to his mother and his beloved kansai mm. i was a little bit feeling like i was facing my nightmare before I came to Japan, I, I actually had a dream of coming to a place with smokestacks and no greenery. And, and I feel very scared about that. Mm. Uh, but I accepted this job in Tochigi because they showed me pictures of Miko. And I was like, oh, well, that's just fine. That'll work for me. Tochigi is so, beautiful, right? There's, there's yeah, lots of lovely yeah. mountains and things. Yes. But I was living for me, I'm I'm from the mountains in Canada. And I'm from a very small town. And for me, Utsunomiya was a huge city. And I was pretty much in the middle of it for mm. uh for most of my life in Japan. Uh, so I felt like I was in a big city. 
But as you say, you can get out of the city. And same here in Yokoichi. Although I look out the window and I see smokestacks and buildings and not very many trees, I can get out of the town. Like if I could just ride my bicycle five minutes from here, I'll be along a riverside with trees. Mm-hmm. And so, this thing that there's this forest therapy, I was like, wow, what is that? That sounds like this is originated、mm-hmm. in Japan. I'm here in Japan. It's all about nature and、uh, b- connecting people with nature. I've got to find out about this. And so, I, I think it was a coping mechanism for the move. <laughs>、mm-hmm. And I、right. did a training in Canada. Just after we moved here. And it has really helped me get to know this area. I have been exploring all the parks that I can get to by bicycle and even by car. And I've really got to know some beautiful places and really felt more connected, like learning about the, the wildlife here. Part of the training is. Is keeping a journal and mapping, like drawing different parks and where you could routes that you can do and learning about the local wildlife.、Mm-hmm. I, I've just loved it.、Uh, but Corona hit just around the,、uh, about a year after we moved here, maybe not even a year. So it was a little hard to find participants to walk with me. Sure, yeah. But I've done some walks. And I've got one coming up, my first one ever that's not in my neighborhood. I've been asked to do one in Kyoto. Oh, wow. And I'm going May 1st, which is going to be interesting because it's, it, a forest therapy walk is quiet practice where you give group participants an invitation to do something sensory and orienting to pleasure. Uh, like,、uh, for example, peel off your socks and your feet on some moss.、Mm. People usually do this without talking. They have a 10 minutes, 15 minutes alone. And have, if they take, if they take the, the invitation, they don't have to. You can kind of, whatever people are comfortable with, you don't want to push their comfort zones too much. But,、um, with a lot of, People looking at you as you take off your socks and bury your feet in moss. I mean, in, in city parks, it can feel uncomfortable.、So、I have to think deeply about what invitations I、mm-hmm. make. And <laughs> Kyoto is very busy during Golden Week. So there will be many、yeah. people on trails, and probably benches are going to be occupied. So I feel Very big challenge coming up soon、mm. with how to make a relaxing therapeutic walk. Right. And so, for example, when if someone decides to take up your sort of offer to attempt this, so they take off their, in this case, they take off their socks and they stand on the moss, they are doing this in silence and just focusing on the experience of standing with their bare feet in the moss. Yes. Yes. And then after such an invitation, like if we were just standing there, maybe I wouldn't make that very long. Sure. Maybe only five minutes or something. Then we come back together as a group and each of us 
speaks from our heart. What are we feeling? What are we noticing? It's called counsel. So we pass around um, a leaf or something, and the person who holds the leaf will speak, right? You know, mm. honestly about their feeling. Um, and everyone is supposed to, you know, really listen with their hearts. No interruptions or conversation. It's it's a practice, and this is actually developed in America, the U.S. It Japanese shinrin yoku is quite different. It's just a walk in the woods, right? Mostly, and it it is with the guide maybe talking about different kinds of plants, and maybe doing some breathing exercises or yoga, but the American version is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that that doesn't sound very Japanese. It sounds more American. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. What kind of things do people sort of say? Like, what kind of realizations do they have, like, by standing in moss? And- oh, I haven't done the standing in moss. That's the, what I'm wanting to do. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that, uh, about grounding recently, about, um, taking off your shoes and socks and grounding Mm. as a nice invitation to do in the future. Uh, In the changing of the seasons, like maybe when the plum blossoms are coming up or when there's autumn leaves, people think about how that that is in their lives, Mm -hmm. like how there's renewal. Um, It's reflective of looking at the trees and they don't all blossom at the same time. and Somebody might say, well, I'm not blossoming at the same time as everyone else. I I want to have a baby, but I haven't been able to conceive. And maybe my time is, is just not now, I, you know, uh, that mm. kind of realization. Or just for me, I look up and I'll see that some branches are dead and broken off. And that lets in the light for new growth. Like you could just re- reflect about your own life. Mm. And I guess p- participants get the message they needed to hear or the thing they needed to see, right? Like whatever that might be, wherever they are in their, in their life at that time when they go on the walk. Yeah, and there may be no message. It just depends on the group and the mood. It may be just that you feel mostly we always feel relaxed and in another zone because we've really slowed down and we're just focusing on pleasure and beauty. And uh, then at the very end, we'll have tea. We'll sit down and try to put out a nice tablecloth on the ground and and use something from the forest or from the walk to make uh, tea, like for example, plum blossom tea. And then we chat and it it just Mm. feels like an escape from daily, the daily grind and getting away from our digital devices and our screens and realizing that there is another world out there that is fantastic. And it is therapeutic in that it's good for your cortisol levels. Yeah. And there's like natural oils in trees called phytoncides. And I, yeah, there's your, your immune system can benefit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not with a science background, but uh, apparently there's a lot of scientific benefits 
proven. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. If I was in Kyoto on the 1st of May, I would love to come along on this walk and put my feet in the moss and enjoy that. It sounds like a really great experience. What are some of the other invitations that you give, like just an example? So we've talked about the moss one, but that. Yeah. yeah, the first invitation is slowing to the moment. So that's always the same. We walk as slowly as possible mm-hmm. through. Basically, I'm the leader and people will follow me, but I suggest that each person legs behind until the person ahead is, is quite a distance so that you feel like you're on your own. Right. And just anything that looks interesting, just allow your curiosity to take over and pause and, you know, just really, really slow down. So that maybe we walk a very short distance, really, um, for just 10 minutes in a very, very slow rate. And it, it of course, slows your heartbeat mm. and your breathing and your steps and your heartbeat kind of all find their own pace yeah. that yeah. is so relaxing. And so you naturally relax from the slower breathing pace and the slower walking and the, your brain probably slows down as well from the frenetic. Oh, I've got to do this, got to do that. Oh, I forgot to do that kind of thought pattern before you arrive at the at the walk. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all are spending a lot of time connected to the internet, looking at screens, especially since COVID. Mm came along and I just looked at my daily and I'm awake 16 hours a day, but I probably, I'm not doing housework all day long and I'm not teaching all day long. I'm probably sitting at my computer for most of the day. Right. And even when I go out by myself for a walk to scope out a trail or get ready for a forest therapy walk, I have my phone in my pocket and I'm looking at plants and I'm taking photos. So it seems like we have all of us created a dependency on the internet and it's really hard to break that. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. But during a forest walk, I tried to get people to just feel things and notice things with their own senses, not through Mm -hmm. a device, not through a camera. Um, My son just graduated from school and I noticed every school event like sports day, every parent that I noticed is holding their phone in front of their face and watching the whole proceedings through their phone, not actually firsthand. Yeah. So true. And how often do they watch that that movie again? I don't know. Mm. Do you? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I noticed that as well. And I think it was my son's entrance ceremony last year. I just refused to take any photos. I let my husband do that. And he wants to be the photographer. And I just watched and enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's, it's great to notice, right? And I don't think anyone notices actually the the extent to which we have become dependent on the internet unless something happens. And, you know, for example, there's a power cut and your internet's turned off <laughs> and then you're suddenly without it, you don't notice how much you rely on it until it's not there. So yeah, that's a really great sort of pocket to carve out of time going on the, your Shinrin Yoko walks and, and being in that, in that mode in nature away from technology. I also notice, you know, for my kids, when we've had a day out, 
in nature, either we've been to the beach or, you know, in our local big park that we have down the street, that their mood is very different. They're very, you know, they're energized, but they're calm as opposed to constantly winding each other up and, and you know, creating dramas about nothing, mm. etc. It's a very different mood when we've all been out in the fresh air, in the nature and stuff. So, yes. I never regret going out, but it's so hard for me to get my butt out the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I agree. Definitely. Even though you never regret it once you do go and do it. That's for sure. How do you get yourself out the door then? If you Well, that's the thing. I need accountability. So if I have a walk, mm. I need to plan. Mm-hmm. Then I know, okay, I need to scope the trails. I need to see where we're going to pause and where we're going to have tea and what plants I can use for the tea. So that gets me out. And so that's been a real lifesaver for me. And just for that first year here in Yokaichi, I was completing the practicum mm-hmm. for this program the journaling and stuff. So that got me out a lot. Mm. Now, mm, well, today's rainy. and um, I, yeah, um, I'm not out as much as I was before. If I had a regular walk once a month Mm. with participants, I think that would be great. And that is a future vision. Yeah. I would love to see you doing that because I can imagine you would have people coming from all around Japan to join you on these walks. But as I mentioned before, my Japanese skills are not so wonderful. So um, I have tried to guide using as much Japanese as I can, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's tough. Yeah. I think there's also a market for doing it in English though, as well. Right. Like, um, you know, I know you're not right. allowed to put your English students, but there are a lot of Japanese people who would love to do something in English and, and come along with you and your English teaching yes. ability would definitely complement. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. How do I reach out to people who are interested in my city? I went around to all the community centers looking for English groups to give mm. a poster to when mm. I first came. And then I tried Meetup. And uh, yeah, finally, what I landed up doing was just people I met individually, I would sometimes mention, mm-hmm. oh, I want to guide a walk. Would you be interested? And then trying to network that way. And I have a line group of about 20 people. But actually, when I put up mm-hmm. on that I have a walk I'm, I'm doing. I've, my last walk was just my local friend. I have one friend mm-hmm. and he came. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> okay. So you had someone show up. Well, that's good. Uh- yeah. I guess <laughs> one is better than none, yeah. but yeah. Interesting. Have you tried your local international association? Yeah. I put a poster up there. Nothing came of it. Do they have a um, like a magazine that they put out once a month that you could be in? Uh, yeah, I went, yeah, there's two international associations where I take Japanese and I gave them both a poster to put up. Yeah, yeah. But, you yeah. know, because of Corona, they've basically gone online. Yeah, that's right. But I think slowly it's coming back, right? Like the, um, there was this, I noticed the same thing here in our city. The, the, everything went online, everything got cancelled, and now things start to be coming back a little bit, starting to plan more group in-person activities that are outdoors 
So it could be the perfect time to approach them again and say, what do you think about doing this or offering this? So yeah, it could be another uh, you know, perfect timing thing. So one community closest to me, the kind of community center Japanese class place uh, is in a Brazilian community. Okay. So I wonder how to reach out to those people mm-hmm. in that community. Right. My poster is in English. Yeah. Maybe someone could help you with making it into Portuguese or, or something to, that would make it more accessible to members in the community but if their japanese is negligible and um they speak portuguese how do i guide them i think you will both be using your negligible japanese but the right people will will yes get the meaning of what you're saying from you know from all of the other ways that we can communicate with people that don't use words whether it's the um you know, your vibration or your gestures, or they get out their phone if they have to, <laughs> they check a word in their Google dictionary or whatever. Um, I think it would work. Yeah, yeah. It, um, when you do the, the practice, it's supposed to turn off right. your rational mind. You shouldn't be like talking about what species of flower this is, or how do you say this in another language? Because I actually, yeah, had participants picking up a pine cone and saying, well, how do you say this in English? So uh, it's supposed to be more, I don't know, your artistic side of your brain or the nonverbal side of your brain. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe that's something you can work towards, but perhaps the first time wouldn't be a perfect one. Do you know what I mean? Like people are, uh, it's it's not going to be your perfect shindin yoku or. Yeah, exactly. Be... Exactly. The standards of my training are so high <laughs> and, and I have to just. You have to meet people where they best. are, right? And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like teaching English. I remember when I started, I spent two or three hours to prepare sometimes mm. for one hour right. class. And, and everything was so difficult, but now it takes absolutely no effort at all. And that's through your practice, right? You practiced and practiced and now right, it's, right. it's, it's so. no problem. I, I get you there. Cause I was like that too. When I first arrived, I was like, oh, I have to plan every second of this lesson. And what if this happens? And now I'm just show up and I'm like, what am I teaching this? Excellent. Here we go. And yeah. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love for this right? Shinrin Yoku yeah. practice to become like that to, for me, like second nature. I just need to gain my confidence and just keep going, like keep going. Mm. Even if there's only one participant, it's good for me. Exactly. You'll get what you need, which is the one participant. That time was what, you know, what you needed potentially. And if you had 20 people show up, would that have been great? Would that have been a <laughs> no! success? Absolutely not, right? That's that a really good point. <laughs> like that was probably the perfect number for that day, you know. And and perhaps if you decide to do this, you know, with people who don't speak the same language as you, perhaps, you know, maybe it's this Portuguese community or not. I think if you show up and without a plan, it might work better. If you can see, oh, they just need to do this or oh, I can see this is what they need today or perhaps you know this route is a bit long we'll make it a bit shorter or whatever so if you show up with your perfect plan you won't give them what they need yeah and if you don't meet them where they are you won't 
be able to give them what they need. So, but having all that behind you to draw from is the point, right? You're all the training and all of that practice you've done is going to serve you well to help those people when they get to the forest. Because I imagine for some people, like for you, like for you and me being in the forest is normal, <laughs> kind of, you know, we're used to it. But if you never normally do that and it's your first time, wouldn't it be great to go with someone who could guide you and show you how to enjoy it? that's a huge gift that you can give to people who potentially don't do that in the, on their daily basis because they don't know where to go or how to enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying so. And I like how you said, like, it's so true with everything in life. Like for example, planning a trip, the preparation, okay. It's good to prepare for things and to, but you also need to balance that with spontaneity and adjusting to what's going on, going with the flow. So there's like this very careful balance. Exactly. Yeah. You could miss the best opportunity or the best encounter because you're sticking to your plan, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 But without the plan, you know, you might not end up in the right place to have anywhere to stay for the night or something, you know, important <laughs> like food for lunch or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, and um, this, goes to my word of the year, Ooh, which yes. you, thank you, Jane, have inspired me to make a word of the year. So my word of the year is balance. Okay. So yeah, the balance between preparation and uh, going with the flow at the moment. That's a very careful balance. Wow. And then balance with my, how much work I do. And I thought maybe I'd like to start working full time from this April. So I was doing mm -hmm. more and more work. I got some work as AL, an ALT, assistant language teacher relief. And I was going around to elementary mm. schools. And then I was working at a culture school. And I was doing a writing uh, project where I was cycling and then posting on a blog. I was doing all this work. And I felt like, Gah! my balance. Oh my gosh. I was um, microwaving madly for dinner and, 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 um, you know, mm. my housework was getting faster and faster as I was trying to fit it all in. So balance is really, really tough to, to adjust, but I, I think all of us need to always be working on creating the right balance. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And what does that look like for, for you, for me? What's your idea of balance? That's really great. Well, I'm so excited to hear that that inspired you. Yes. To to think about your own one and how that and to notice. Oh, I'm getting a bit out of balance here. Maybe I need to rebalance some of the things, etc. That might keep you on the on a good path during the year. That's really great. What's your word this year? Um, my word for this year was expansion. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, not just the waistline, <laughs> just oh. in general. No. Um, How's so, that working out for you? Yeah, so expansion for me in, means to just create expansion for others. So what I do with my podcasting creates expansion in the world, right? So maybe on the face of it, it looks like I create episodes and I do marketing and all these sorts of things. But the effect is it creates expansion for my clients so they get more time to do other work that they want to do. Or for the people who listen to the podcast, they learn something new, changes their life, they go on a new tra trajectory. I'm sure you've heard an episode that has 
yeah, pointed you in a different direction. And, you know, later you found out you're in a whole different place thanks to listening to a podcast. So that's what expansion means for me. And also, I just really noticed in the last two years, especially that due to COVID, things have felt quite constricted with being stuck at home or you're not feeling like you could go anywhere or not being able to go anywhere, not being able to travel. And so expansion for me is kind of reminding myself that it's okay to go out, you know, not staying at home all the time, making, a, you know, making dates to go and meet friends and things again, because to get back in that habit of being out in the world, whereas I noticed I'd really got in the habit of being in my home. I like being at home. I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a homebody, but I need that, that the Japanese word merihari, that the difference, you know, of being out so that when you come home, it feels great to be at home. Or when you're at home a lot, it feels great to go out, right? So having that, yeah, feeling, enjoying the feeling of going out, enjoying the feeling of being at home again, which I kind of lost yes. during the last two That's years. That's my balance. Yeah. Yes. I would just go crazy to be a housewife only and just to be on in the house all day. But I, I really don't, I've worked full time before and I know that that's not the life for me either, mm -hmm. uh, that there's no time for yoga class or there's no time to ride my bike along the river or to take a Japanese class. There you go. Yeah. So we're kind of working on similar things, but in a different way. Yeah. As well. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Stacey, and telling us about your part of Japan, about your forest walks. And I really hope that some of our listeners will reach out to you and say, hey, tell me about your next walk. I'm in the, I'm in the neighborhood. I'd love to join you. Where can they get hold of you if they'd like to, to hear more about Chininyoku or if you've got any walks coming up? Um, you can put a link to me uh, for LinkedIn. Yeah. And that would be a great way for them to reach out to me. And I just want to say one more thing about what I want to do. And maybe, hmm. you know, somebody's listening and wants to do the same thing or can direct me. I really want to become politically active mm -hmm. in, about environmental issues, especially uh, just Japan? where I live. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and again, language is a bit of a barrier, but uh, especially just like protecting rivers and I, I I cycle along riverside trails and I notice so much trash and I just mm. want to do something about it right so um anybody else who wants to collaborate or tell me about how to get involved in environmental issues I'm always looking to connect with like-minded people Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So if you're not on LinkedIn or you're having trouble getting in contact with Stacy, just drop me a message on Instagram or Facebook and I'll put you in touch with Stacey. Um, yeah. So I don't want to have your email floating around on the, <laughs> on the internet, but I can direct people to you as well. So that'd be fine. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great talking to you and getting to know you more. Thank you, Jane. I have enjoyed this and Yay. Uh, I will keep listening and keep getting inspired by your podcasts, and feeling expansion coming through the, the internet Yeah, from you great. and your work. Thank you. Bye.